0: So Money episode, 969 Hope King, anchor at Cheddar.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life?
0: Welcome to So Money.
1: I have been through, as you said, a couple of different jobs and a big career change. I've got bank accounts, savings accounts, retirement accounts all over the place. I have, I mean, I I, I have like the papers, you know, in my filing cabinet and they have been sitting there for years for me to consolidate, to roll over into one account. I
0: love it when financial journalists come on the show and we talk some money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today we have Hope King on the show. She is an experienced journalist today covering everything from technology to innovative industries and the financial markets for Cheddar, which is a fast-growing news network dedicated to all things business very popular with the millennials. Hope has a master's from Columbia. She's worked at CNN, Business Insider, and along the way has made some interesting transitions, started in financial services on Wall Street. So we talk about those transitions, how it all impacted her financial life. We just heard her talk about all the many 401ks that she's accumulated, and she will be the first to admit that her life, her money life could use a little bit of streamlining. So we offer her some advice on this show as well. Here we go. Here's the fantastic Hope King. Hope King, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, everybody, Cope is really committed to being on this podcast. You were literally in a vestibule at the New York Stock Exchange um, <laughs> yes. in, a, in a little secret hideaway. You really wanted to be on this show, and I really appreciate that for, for having you squeeze us in. How's your day going so far? What's going on it- in the news?
1: Oh yeah, it's going well, thank you. Yeah, I um I've been listening, you know, to your guests and I I hope I'll be able to provide as much value as, as they have been. Um but the news today, I mean, a lot of earnings. Microsoft killed it. Tesla killed it surprisingly. Twitter didn't kill it. Its it stock is way down, I think 20% here on the day after really missing on earnings expectations and even on their revenue as well. And, um, you know, for the most part, earnings season actually going a little better than most analysts had expected. They had a little bit of a a lower expectation going into this, given the trade wars have been going on now for over, you know, a year, uh, almost a year and a half. So, you know, there are just uh, a lot of different factors to to weigh, and you know, I think in life most things are like an expectations game, and, and these companies have to do this every single quarter with with analysts and with investors to talk about how they might be doing, and you know, they can't give too much away. They have to play it kind of cool because they want to beat, um, but they also obviously. Have to be super clear and transparent too.
0: Hmm. Wow. Earnings expectations. That's a past life for me. I had to cover earnings <laughs> when I was at the street. And, you know, fast forward, we're in, heading into an election year. You talked about trade wars. There's like a pending recession we keep talking about. As you're interviewing, and you get the best interviews, hope. I mean, you had Satya Natella from Microsoft, which was an exclusive. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, you really get these great interviews. You have these. Great opportunities to talk to corporate leaders. Um, what is the most, imp- as a journalist, what is the most important question we should be asking these people right now as it pertains to, you know, as it trickles down to our purse strings, right? Because we're all invested in these companies, um, somehow through our 401ks or, you know, as investors. And so as you're thinking about it through that lens, like, what are the questions that, that these people need to be answering right now? And are, do you feel like, do you feel like the the mood is good? Like, are we going to have another recession? Are we should we, we be worried? Do you get any signs of that? Hearing from these these people.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of the companies that we talk to are preparing for whatever happens, so they they kind of have to have all the burners on mm-hmm. and be cooking different strategies. To your first question, which I think is a really important one right now, what should we be asking? What should we have these companies focus on, I think a lot of it actually has to do with their values and and what they care about personally, and also what they care about for their companies. Um, You know, I've been covering over the past couple of months what's been going on at Boeing, what's been happening with WeWork, and it's really clear that at the end of the day, one individual's decision can have wide-ranging impacts and some that we might not even be aware of until many years down the line. And in the case of Boeing, that could result in, in actual human lives lost. I mean, I don't want to be Debbie Downer right now, but, you know, it really concerns me that we have at various levels. You know, I think in the last couple of years, we've talked so much about Me Too and, and harassment and these issues um, that happen with with men in power, with those who are working for them. And this year, I feel like a lot of what's come to light is just how greed has overtaken, and it always has been, right, a driving force of companies, but have, have really overtaken uh, core human uh, values in, in a way that we haven't seen in a while. So in Boeing's case, you know, again, we're hearing more of this because. These hearings are going on, so we're kind of getting this information piecemeal, but you've got folks that have been pressured inside of their company by top management to get this new plane out. And when the plane was being built, you know, a couple of years ago, they felt this pressure to get approval by regulators however they could, whether that was in in one particular case, you know, understanding that there could be an issue with the software system, realizing it, recognizing it in simulation. But then because of this pressure, going to the FAA and saying, you know what, it's not that big of an update. You know, we don't need to train pilots differently. And, you know, look what's happened. And again, this investigation is still going on. But all the evidence suggests that this, you know, move fast and break things mentality, it's not isolated just Silicon Valley. It's every company that's in a very competitive space when it's a Boeing. It's just Boeing versus Airbus. And then when it comes to WeWork, I mean, you've got this very strong founder-led company, very, a very strong founder who has done a great job building the brand of what its company is. But at the end of the day, burning money like crazy, mm-hmm. going through cash, maybe running out of money by the end of the week had it not been for SoftBank coming back and rescuing it. But, you know, a lot of these startups that – Um, got acquired by them or employees that joined the company as a startup, I mean, they were paid through compensation, uh, stock-based compensation that now is underwater that is not valuable at all. So if you think about somebody who maybe wasn't getting paid enough or high enough, but were really banking on a a good payday for the IPO, it's not going to happen for them. And I just feel like this is something we're seeing more and it's it's a little scary. So I think that's the question we should be asking all these leaders.
0: Oh, that's such a great response. And I think you're in such a great role as a member of the media who is so thoughtful and keeping an eye on this to hold these companies accountable. Because I think what's happened also in tandem to these bad behaviors um, is that the media almost like sometimes rewards the wrong thing. Like we, we, I mean, and I, I mean, you read the articles all the time, right? Like we, we rode the, the WeWork way. We were calling them a, a unicorn and we weren't, we were so excited when they got all this money Money. And I just feel like we're using the wrong measure sometimes to celebrate um, quote-unquote success. You know, like, okay, great. Congratulations that you just got a $300 million Series C raise. But that also means that you have to deliver, right? And you need to not... Yeah. You're, this is a big debt that you've now gotten into. Let's be realistic. Right. Um, and I think there needs to be more uh, of a championing for companies that are doing... The things that are maybe not sexy, but, and they're not maybe profitable today because of it, but long-term it's really, uh, the right thing to do, whether that's um, Salesforce, right. Or uh, what was the tech company that just said they're going to announce or disclose all of the pay. They want to show who's making what, not specifically, but like, here's what women make on average. And here's what men make on average. Cause they want to keep themselves accountable to it.
1: Yeah. I can't remember exactly, but I mean, Salesforce has over the last couple of years, tried to make this, uh, an equitable situation for, for pay for men and women inside the company. They did a whole examination of who's getting paid what, and they are at pay parity. And, and Mark Benioff has been at the forefront lately about this idea that companies shouldn't be measured based on how much profit they're making. You know, they should actually be measured on other things and even trying to declare capitalism dead. But I do think the idea is there. It, it's right. Right. Which is that it shouldn't just be if you beat on profits, that that's what you care about every three quarter or every three months. It should be about something else.
0: Hope, your background is at Merrill Lynch. You worked as vice president of business development, product management there. Um, You have also your series seven and your series 66 licenses, which I guess uh, you can, does that mean you can invest my money?
1: Oh, those are expired. Oh, they're <laughs> but I, expired. At okay. one point, I there, Yeah, you have to keep getting recertified and you have to get sponsored. But yeah, at, at one point, I, I could at one have. point at for one sure. Point. Yeah,
0: okay. But then you decided to go on the other side of the equation and be the storyteller from the business perspective. What made you want to make that shift? I know you went to Columbia Journalism School. I'm sure you have an interesting narrative there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I've always wanted to work, you know, in news, but I, you know, coming out of undergrad, I was not in a financial situation with my family where I could go to, uh, you know, media company and, and, you know, get paid um, at the starting salaries and, and have you know, um, to, to live in New York and, you know, and I actually doubled majored in journalism and economics. So I, 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 you know, was interested in pursuing something that combined my left and my right side of my brains. And, um, you know, while I was looking at what careers could be possible in news, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to, to cover sort of general assignment. I, I wanted to have something that I could talk about, um, sort of in an expert kind of fashion. And, um, so I took some time to kind of figure that out while I was working, uh, in finance. And I discovered that, you know, in many ways it was a lot more, um, sort of creative than I had imagined because as a product person and in business development, you know, you have to be thinking about creating new opportunities, building uh that that's not just purely looking at a, a, you know books and numbers and and figuring out you know how to invest specifically you know you do kind of look for stories so I, I would say that both of those, you know, interests of mine, they really play well into one another because they actually have a lot of similarities. And you know, it just came to a point where in my career, I had um, gotten these designations, as you mentioned, the seven and the sixty-six. And you know, looking up sort of the ladder, I, I realized that I probably, you know, could go further. But you know, part of my my soul and my personality still craved um, to to do news. And I and I realized through the years. Of working at Merrill that I, I did love business. I mean, I, I I think it's underappreciated what it actually drives, you know, um, having to choose between, let's say, covering politics and business. You know, I understood that money drives pretty much everything and can change so much. And um, so I really used my time in, in finance to really study kind of what happens inside of companies, how decisions are made, how leaders lead, good ones and bad ones, and, and all of that I'm using now in the way that I, I talk about companies and you know, I think that's why I'm so passionate and driven by it because I totally understand not only from the consumer perspective, as I am also a consumer, but also what happens inside these companies and how these decisions can get made that lead to really great results or really poor ones. Um, and so I'm, I'm super happy, super fortunate. It was a big risk to take to quit. Obviously there was a, an opportunity cost that I had to consider. Um, but ultimately, you know, I felt pretty confident that I had enough of the interest and and the passion that, you know, I think I, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot as well with, with your other guests, but you know, at the end of the day, that's, what's going to keep you going. Um, if you love what you do. And and because I do, and because I love sort of every aspect of it, um, you know, I think that's really what's been the fuel that's been sustaining me and keeping me going.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate that you come to this so multifaceted, not only with your, you know, your background in business and finance on Wall Street, but also, you know, before Cheddar, you were at CNN and and writing mostly, right? And then you kind of shifted platforms and now you're an anchor at Cheddar and you also host a podcast there and you just I love that you have all these different ways of telling your stories. I want to talk really briefly about Satya Natella from Microsoft because that was a huge win, exclusive that you got. How did you get that interview?
1: Oh yeah, I mean it. Um, you know, it's one of those experiences that I do think you know change your life, and um, it's about. A, you know, knowing your stuff, you know, I know the company kind of inside and out, I've been covering them um, for a couple of years, as you mentioned, while I was at CNN, and uh, a little bit before that as well, a business insider, Um, and, and always, you know, showing sort of the company that I knew them well, I knew their stuff, I could tell their story. In a different way that nobody else could. And also the, the timing rate right, of, of many things also need to align. And, and for Microsoft this year, it's been a great story. For a couple of months, they were the only uh, company in the trillion dollar club. Uh, Apple had, uh, you know, fallen back a little bit on concerns of the iPhone. Because Microsoft had this amazing story, you know, being led by Satya Nadella in the five years that he's been CEO, um, you know, I had sort of pitched to them and. And you know, over the last couple of of uh, years, actually, you know, obviously leading up to an experience like this, um, you know, what what is the best story? What is the story right now? And you know, um, being in contact with the company, you know, constantly, um, again, having that relationship, developing the trust with them, you know, at all all different kinds of levels of the company as large as that, um, you know, they really trusted me. I think to be able to to tell the story that they also, of course, wanted to tell while I was obviously trying to tell another story with the macro stuff, the concerns. Um, And I think, you know, those two things, no matter if you're in media, if you're in, you know, business of your own, you know, it comes down to to trust and relationships. And, you know, it's as as simple as that. Um, The trust gets built because of the constant reporting that I'd done. Um, And along with that came the relationship that grew and grew. And, you know, finally, of course, is the timing Uh, of it. And, um, they really wanted me to to go there. And I spent, you know, four days with them also looking at their campus, you know, operations. I mean, they had never done this with any other media uh, outlet at all. Um, and so it wasn't just like the interview itself. It was talking about and looking at their innovations. And I think all of that is, is because of, of those who, again, in the company wanted me to be the one to channel sort of the story and, and fronted as well. So, um, working with a team at that high level at the executive level, you know, it definitely brings you up a notch. And, um, I feel like I really, again, learned and, and changed and grew for the better, um, because of it.
0: That's tremendous access Four days shadowing yeah. the company. Mm-hmm. And so you grew and you learned. What did you learn that maybe was unexpected? That you look back on this experience in ten years and go, "This was a pivotal moment, and this is what I learned."
1: Yeah, I, I think that the biggest learning for me was that I, um, you know, like I already know my stuff. Like I knew that I knew my stuff, but I'm the kind of person who, for an interview or, or a show, you know, I I want to be as prepared as possible, which means reading a lot, taking a lot of notes, taking a lot of time to think about it. And sometimes I'll get in my own head and, you know, I was very anxious actually leading up to the, the, you know, the, the trip and, um, you know, I have a, I have a very strong partner, um, who supports me a lot. And, you know, um, he just said, look, you just focus on like, what is the most important, like, you know, being there on time, obviously being prepared, but like also like being relaxed, Um, and at the end of the day, when you go out to do a story like this or any story, um, the, the, the most important things are probably just the ones at the tip of your tongue. Sometimes, you know, in news, you want to, you want to get the better angle. You want to be the smartest, but to most folks who are probably watching this, you're not going to understand. They're not going to really care about sort of like the nitty gritty stuff. It's really about what are the biggest stories top of mind. And once I sort of figured out like, okay, let's put all my notes aside Let's just, you know, clean slate. What are the only things if I only had like two minutes and two questions that I would want to ask? And I kind of went from there. Um, and I think that really set me in, in a good place. Um, I did a lot of yoga. I mean, a lot of things to like <laughs> physically relax me because, because it's such, you know, for me, I'm like, Oh, like journalism news, like obviously very mental, but also when you're on air, it's a physical presence kind of thing. And I think even taking time for myself, like self care, you know, I could have, I could have, you know, watched more interviews with him. I could have, you know, read a couple more things. Um, but I was like, you know what? I really want to get a manicure and a pedicure and I want to do some yoga. You want to be
0: confident. Yeah. yeah. People forget when you're on television and you have to – it's so much – it's an added layer of pressure because it's really now a performance. And yes. you're eye to eye with your <clears throat> with your subject matter, with your interviewee so there's no escaping. You can't skip yep. a beat. It's going to show. And so th- I think you're a hundred percent right. Like you obviously prepared like the pro you are, but it's important to take that time to carve out time to just get mentally prepared and conditioned for the interview as well. Um, wow. What a case study.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, you forget like your physical body, like matters, you know, how you feel exactly as you said. And, um, when it came down to the interview, you know, I was super relaxed. Like I I knew, you know, my stuff and, um, it put him at ease too. You know, you could, you can see the shift. Um, and I think the tone was really set, um, way ahead of time because of all of the, you know, not only just the prep, prep, but you know, just physically wanting to be present and you know, enjoying it.
0: Oh my gosh, you said it right. You got to put the interviewee at ease. That's how you're going to get the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. We'll put the link to that interview in the show notes. And it showed that you had done yoga and were prepared. You looked great. You sounded great. <laughs> Thank asked you. all the poignant questions. Well, shifting gears to your personal finances, you gave me a little bit of a disclaimer before we went on the oh, air. Yeah. <laughs> you said, "Farnoosh, uh, my personal finances are not worth writing home about." Please, you know, forgive me. And I, I want to explore this. I want to unpack this a little bit. Why do you think you're not good with money?
1: I have been through, as you said, a couple of different jobs and a big career change. I've got. Bank accounts, savings accounts, retirement accounts—all over the place. I have—I mean, I—I I, I have like the papers, you know, in my filing cabinet, and they have been sitting there for years for me to consolidate, to roll over into one account. It just—it's it, a pain. Um, I, I have dreaded it obviously, which is why it hasn't gotten done yet. But I know I've got to, so I can see where all my money is. A, um, and B, so I can you know invest a little bit more wisely when I have everything um altogether. Um and then I think separately just when it comes to you know saving right now, uh, you know, I think the last couple of years have been sort of investment sort of in myself, you know, um, whether that is just saying it's great to live with roommates. But you know what? I think you're gonna have a better quality of life if you lived alone. And you know, I live in the city alone. Um, that even though you're probably going to be spending more on rent than you would ideally like, you 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 should do this for yourself. And um, you know, I'd also sort of at work um been able to to, to get Compensated better, I think, for for what I do, and you know, all those things ended up being uh, sort of again an investment in myself. Where I said, I I need to live on my own, you know, I I need to invest in, let's say, like just going to the gym, like things like that. Um, but you know, I'm not saving at the rate that I feel like in the past. I probably was a little bit more strict with myself to do um, because I also kind of want to enjoy, you know, being in the city, living there, working there. Um, so, you know, those are, I think on a daily basis, sorts of things that I know like are always in the back of my mind. Um, and you know, I don't check my bank accounts very often. I'll, you know, sometimes like forget to just check my auto pay, like little things like that where, you know, I'll, I'll see a, a, an overdraft fee and I'm like, Oh, I forgot like to transfer this to that. Um, where I'm like, Oh, maybe I should, you know, look at it more. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, it's like you said, it's like you get up, you got to go to work, and then you're home. And like, the last thing you want to do is for like more work, even if it's work kind of for yourself.
0: I think you need to take a personal day. (laughs) And you need to you need to make it a my personal finance day. Because everything you're describing is fixable, it's doable, it just takes a few hours. And I think that you just have to commit to it. I know like finding even just five minutes in your schedule right now can seem impossible. And when you do have five minutes, the last thing you want to do is like check your bank balance. So right. it's the good thing about it though, is that if you just do the personal day, you can get about 90% of this systematized and automated and streamlined, and then you don't have to think about it again. And all you really would want to do at that point is commit to checking, you know, getting the apps downloaded so you can check your bank balance. You can check your – all the different maybe investments that you have when you want, but you just know that all the automations are in place and you can go back to focusing on the fun stuff. Um, No, you're right. It's Take a personal day. It's one personal – there's like five things on your checklist. One is, you know, roll over all the uh, 401ks into my current 401k, (laughs) which is like literally a series of phone calls. Right, um, or you could, you know, you you could get someone to help you with it. But I feel like I can make this checklist for you. Let me do this for you. I am gonna put a, I'm gonna put together a checklist, the forms. But a lot of times, you just have to put the people in touch. You, right, you, you contact the four hundred one k provider from years ago with your new four hundred one k provider, and um, yeah, there might be some signatures that you need to make sure you sign off on. But look, the new company is gonna want your money. So right. they're going to try to make it as easy as possible for you. And um, it's gotten pretty easy now with technology and online, you know, signatures and all of the things.
1: Congrats on the raise. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it felt really good. And I think, you know, they, my managers, see what happens when you invest in your people and the the difference. And, you know, I had a really good year end review last year. And it was sort of the best review anybody could really look for if you're an employee. And, you know, I said, well, you know, because, you know, and I thanked my manager for helping to enable, you know, all the stuff that I did last year, um, because it was one less thing to worry about. I mean, when you have to worry about it, you know, I, I, and and it's weird because I've, I've sort of, seen you know different types of income brackets in in like I was a grad student obviously uh you know I worked in finance for a while you know I was living at home and then you know um making you know a, like decent money before I you know went to grad school and then like thinking about how much more I could make and then grad school was like lots of debt. And then coming out of grad school, you know, was like starting over. and I wasn't making obviously the same amount as I was going into grad school, which I, I knew. Um, and now I'm coming back and it just, it's been so fascinating to just watch myself, like think about and relate to money differently at all these different stages. And I'm so much more aware of like, what, what is value to me and like what I'm willing to pay for it.
0: You know, you've gone. You have had some pretty big shifts in your life. You've gone from working in finance, which I don't know. I'm going to guess was a little bit more lucrative um, than journalism. But maybe now you're, you know, you're on the upswing. But you also went to grad school, so that was a bit of an interruption financially. Yeah. You know, you're not making money. You're going into debt. So, but it sounds like you know, you know what you have to do. You just have to kind of make the the space for it and the time for it.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. I actually, do have a personal day tomorrow, which Ooh. I had set aside. All right, then I'm going to gonna get that list for you sooner
0: than later. Okay, let's answer this question. It is this is airing in November, and there's been a lot of research out there about how when we are gra- grateful for our for our financial resources, or even just you know the stuff that we have and the the, you know our health insurance and things like that 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 actually does correlate to um, having more money that 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 leads you to a richer life. So, asking our guests this month in partnership with our sponsor Chase, what is one thing in your financial life that you are grateful
1: for? I think I'm I'm grateful for I think. If, I mean, it's as simple as having a job um, that that is very well paying for what I am doing. And I think, you know, having all of the benefits that a lot of people wish that they could have, I think, for the majority of the country, um, you know, anytime I can say to myself, well, you can afford taking an Uber today versus taking the subway is a realization that I'm – like not doing badly, you know, and it's even in those little purchases that I can appreciate because I know what it's like having been through all these different life changes of having to make the choice in a different way, you know, um, taking an Uber to the airport versus taking a subway or taking a train and, you know, being able to order food in versus having to budget my food out. Um, it's, I don't know, maybe too simple a way to think about it, but you know, I don't, I don't need a lot. I don't really crave to have a lot of material possessions. Um. So, so for me, it's, it's realizing these like little conveniences that I can afford that make life just a little bit easier versus, you know, having a, you know, a new bag or, or something like that.
0: I agree. I mean, I think a lot of that also comes with just age. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was in my early 20s, I did think that I wanted, needed these material things. because I thought that's what would make me happy. And then it was ironic because as I started to make more money and, and I started to really see what it took to make more money, a lot of work. Um, <laughs> I didn't want those things because I wanted to preserve the money that I had. And I was also probably in a, better place in my career and enjoying work more. So not feeling like I had to fill any emotional voids with stuff. And I don't know if that's been your journey, but I I wasn't always where I am today mentally when it comes to, you know, financial mindset.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really relate to what you said. And I think when you, as you mentioned, realize how hard you do work you might not want to spend it right away on something that you know is not going to be everlasting as has been the process and the journey of getting to kind of where you are. And um, you know, I also did do the Marie condo uh <laughs> about a couple of years ago. And when I actually, yeah, had to relate to each of my possessions, I think that also made me realize like what I was doing and why I was spending this kind of stuff to your point about filling a void or, you know, thinking I I needed something when, you know, maybe I was looking for the, the wrong thing, um, kind of to begin with and, and, you know, freeing myself of that was definitely, um, a a good experience.
0: I always say like time heals, you know, just Mm -hmm. like, just give you, just be patient with yourself is, is really the takeaway, right? We sometimes get, we get really hard on ourselves. And when it comes to our finances, you got to sometimes just give yourself more credit and be patient. Hope, what's on your docket next? What are you working on? What can we get excited about?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, it's end of year. So I'm thinking about reflections on the year, stories that we can do looking back on these trends, which you talked about. Um, It's also, I know, like big gift giving season. But, you know, last year I did this thing on um, sort of a a whim, but I thought it was a good way to, to look at it. But instead of gifts for your mom, gifts for your sister and your brother, I did a treat yourself guide. And I said, here are the things that you probably have been waiting to get. Like, here are the things that maybe you should get when they're on sale. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that again, um, this year. And then just seeing, you know, what, um, I don't know what the next couple of, with months hold. I, I don't have any specific vacation plans. I had some pretty good trips this year, um, so maybe I'll take it easy over the holidays. It's it's sort of that part is is up in the air right now.
0: Okay, twenty twenty is going to be the year of financial streamlining
1: for hope. Yes, <laughs> starting yes. with
0: the just maybe fifteen minutes tomorrow, just to kind of like make a to do list. Your personal absolutely.
1: day, absolutely,
0: absolutely. Hope King, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fun. Parnoosh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Hope for joining us. Check her out on Twitter. Follow her on Instagram at Lisa Hope King, as well as Twitter at Lisa Hope King would love to hear from you. So many ways to get in touch with me. If you've got a money question for our Friday episodes, you can send me that question through Instagram, direct message me there. You can go to somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh, leave me a question there. And if you like what you're hearing, or if you've got some thoughts on the show, I encourage you to leave them over on the iTunes reviews page. And that's another way to uh, sort of get in touch and share your thoughts. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money.